What's up, everybody? Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. At Theology in the Dirt, we make it our aim to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. And we are glad to come at issues in our lives, in our city, and talk about how we put our theology into practice. And I just got to know how many people want me to just let that song keep going, because I want to. To quote that movie that that's famous from, it's an oldie, but a goodie. It is an oldie, but a goodie. There is never a time, Chris, when I hear that song that I don't sing it to the top of my lungs and Uh, feel a surge of adrenaline. It's killer. Yeah. That's quality stuff. That is quality stuff. Huey Lewis. Yeah. That's right. And if you have isolated yourself to a genre of music that doesn't allow for Huey Lewis in the news, you repent and (laughs) come to a knowledge of good music. Uh, well, the song is is uh, is is perfect for today. We're going to be talking about we're continuing talking about emotionally healthy discipleship, and we're working through um, Pete Cazero's book, uh, "Emotionally Healthy Discipleship," that comes by that title. And again, we're not uh, we want you to go buy the book. We're not unpacking all Pete's content. We're just using it as a guide to discuss. And today, we're talking about love as the measure of maturity. And so, we're going to dive into that content. But first, we got to make sure. We hit the news. Chris, I was uh, taking a stroll this week, uh, as I usually do uh, in the mornings, looking through news and uh, and found uh, an article. Uh, about a school board meeting in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, and Dearborn has a very high Muslim population. And I was highly impressed uh, that uh, the parents, the Muslim parents in Dearborn, Michigan, came to the school board meeting uh, over a whole list of LGBTQ plus books in their school's library that they found offensive, the content, some of which is in the article. And when I read it as a parent, I'm going, my goodness, why is that in a school library? I'm, I'm not Mr. Ban Books guy by no stretch. But if right. we're talking public education and we're talking a mixture of faiths and ideas, uh, is it wise uh, to have the propagation of a sexual ideology and and our libraries from elementary school. And these, these are children's books. These aren't big boy high school books. These are children's books. And I was proud because these uh, Muslim families said, this is against our faith. This is against what we believe. And we don't believe as people in public education that our kids ought to be exposed to these things. This is our job as parents. And I was proud um, that that these Muslim people stood up for what their book said is right. And there are all kinds of implications to that. I think as Christians, number one, I think uh, it helps us to, and we should recognize that that Muslim people share an awful lot of a uh, ethical framework that we share. We don't share a faith. Uh, we believe very different things. Our books make mutually exclusive truth claims. I'm not going to skirt that. Uh, we believe Jesus is God. They don't. So we're not talking the same faith. We're talking two different faiths. But nonetheless, we share an ethical framework, and these guys stood up for something that mattered. And, and I think an awful lot of times um, there are things to be learned there. So I was proud for that, um, proud for what they stood up for and, uh, and calling for change. 
good for them. Uh, this was in the National Review, by the way. So you can go to National Review if you want to read that article. And uh, I'm finding that more and more people of faith backgrounds, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, are beginning to stand up on a common core. They're standing together, even though we believe different things for some uh, ethical commonality. And that's a win, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's that's fantastic, and that's an, such that's an opportunity for Christians to yeah. be on that same side. Again, no, not talking about from a gospel standpoint, but from an ethical standpoint and from just a simple what is right and wrong standpoint. Yeah, and and it's scary how much more those kind of things are being not only like because it used to just be like they might kids might get exposed to that naturally but now it feels like just overly forced and infused into the culture of and it's just kids at that age are there's enough that's confusing without entering that kind of stuff in absolutely and i uh i think one of the things christians need to wrap our heads around in our coming uh environment our cultural environment that really models an awful lot it looks a lot more like first century um, what first century Christianity was birthed into uh, than what we probably grew up in, a very uh, pluralistic, polytheistic, um, uh, loads of ideologies in the marketplace and an opportunity to stand. And I think this is key, stand. We call this, we have a, we have language for this. We call it multi-faith, not interfaith. Interfaith is, is, is goober. We don't believe interfaith. We don't worship the same God. We don't have the same, our books don't say the same things. But what we do have is, as the Abrahamic faith, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, what we have is we have this common set of ethical ideologies um, that matter. Um, and, um, and I think it's an opportunity to learn to function in the public square and never compromise your faith. We don't compromise on Jesus. We don't compromise on Trinity. We don't compromise on Bible. But we can work with people who have a common ethical framework for the betterment of our cities. And we need to learn how to do that. And looking at articles like this gives us opportunities to go, Hey, we don't agree on this, but boy, we sure do agree on this and we can work together. That's multi-faith and uh, that's public square. That's the ability to dialogue. We don't denigrate each other's faith. We highlight the things that we agree upon and we healthily, peacefully dialogue on the things we don't. And I'm proud of these guys for standing up. So you mean we don't have to shun people because they believe one thing different than us and just completely ignore them and, and see them as enemies? I'm sorry. No, no. Because <laughs> that's what I learned on Twitter every yeah, day. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Okay. I should go back to my Twitter theology. No, that's exactly right. We have this opportunity to um, actually learn from people and learn from each other and never, ever compromise our faith. We don't have to compromise Jesus, the Bible, Trinity, none of those things in order to work together with people. Exactly right. Yeah. So anyway, it's a good opportunity, and I think that challenges a lot of our uh, a lot of our framework sometimes because we have a tendency to think we can never work with Muslims and Jews because we don't share a theology. Um, but that's untrue. We share an ethical goal, right? And it's okay. So absolutely, that's my news story today. If you guys want to read it, it's on the National Review. Nice. I um, I'll, mine's pretty brief today, but um, we continue to see inflation rise. Uh, and it's hurting more and more Americans. Uh, compared to a year ago, and this is for September, prices were up 8.2% in September from a year ago. Wow. Um, from August to September, prices rose 0.4%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's actually double what experts predicted from August to September, what the prices would do. 
Uh, the Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates to try and combat inflation uh, and to try and avoid another recession. But, man, things aren't looking good right now. Um, gasoline prices have decreased some, but it hasn't helped much overall because natural gas and electricity prices continue to go up more and more. And then um, food, shelter, and medical costs, though, have been skyrocketing, and that's what's contributing most to the to the recent economic concerns with inflation. And I just – I see this – like every time I go to the grocery store, I'm, I'm like – I got like four bags. Why is that $150? Like right. what used to cost me $75, $80 feels nearly double now. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, and I can't remember the last time I've gone to like, even like fast food restaurants to eat under $10 is not, I mean, it, it's doable, but it's not common. Right. Especially if you, for like, if you want to eat healthier, that costs even more. Yeah. Um, And I'm just like, man, this is. It's, it's not hard. sustainable. No, it's like, yeah. when's my next paycheck coming? Are we going to make it? Do I have to dip <laughs> right. into savings again? Right. Um, well, income is not keeping up with inflation, and yeah. that's that's never a good recipe. We same thing. We had to, we had uh, our uh, student workers, um, our ministry directors over to do some planning a few weeks ago. So we're gonna have tacos. Tacos is a good cheap, fun meal. Okay, tacos are always great. So I just bought meat. Uh, some chips. They were everybody's bringing components to it. Dude, s- swear to you, ninety five dollars and eighty eight cents for the base of tacos for like eight people. Oh, and I'm yeah. going, whoa, how? That's that's insane. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's getting to the it's getting to a point where yeah, it's not sustainable. It's not, and and you're right. It's and it, some of that coming out of COVID hasn't helped either because it's not like companies have all this extra to like just give raises to keep up with it. It's like, you know, you get like a cost of living raise, but that's usually two or 3% and inflation is at 8%. There's a big gap there. Yeah, I mean, it helps, but it's not. That's right. Well, I think this is where, um, man, there are all kinds of implications as Christians, how we, how we engage and, and, uh, we can probably come back and, and make it a topic. Um, how do we live in economically challenging times and stay on mission? That would actually be a heck of a topic. So we'll probably come back to that and talk about it. But it's time for us to move on into the main event. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's time for the final countdown. The show starts in. Yeah, baby. Emotionally healthy discipleship. The measure being that of love. And so how do we measure um, our growth in Christ? Scazzaro makes a point uh, to uh, for him that the measurement of his emotional health and his discipleship is that of love. Now, um, I got to be honest with you, Chris. I I have uh, I didn't tell you this as we were kind of coming in this morning, but I was. This one's hard for me because I uh, love is a difficult thing for me. Um, all kinds of reasons, but love's hard for me, and um, and so I have trouble culturally 
um, coming up with um, a good definition of love because, man, we just use that word, we throw it around. Mm-hmm. And, and often if we don't define it with a uh, conglomeration of um, Bible reality, theology, um, from God's perspective, what is true, what is love, we can come up with some funky definitions that then if we if we baptize those bad definitions, um, then we end up doing God a disservice and us a disservice. So I just want to start by giving a definition that I, I uh, used in a sermon a few weeks ago as we're studying through the Sermon on the Mount using the, the Bible words that are used to describe love. Um, and it's it, it, love is not an emotional response to beauty, merit, or kindness, but a moral attitude dedicated to another's good whether or not that other is lovable, worthy, or responsive. That helps me. Yeah. Because the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. <laughs> um, love is not God. Very important. Love is not God. Right. But God is love. And he says the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Um so our love has to be like God's and directed as God designed it to be directed. John 3.16, we know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So God loves. Um, God is love. Um, God is completely, utterly, morally dedicated to my good, whether or not I'm lovable, worthy, or responsive to it. Um, which makes sense because God so loved the world that he gave the son so that if they believe in the son, they have everlasting life, but not everybody's going to receive that. It's there, but they might not respond to it, but that doesn't change the fact that God still loves. Um, And then the Lord said in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said this sums up the whole law. So if Jesus' summary of the whole law, all of it, is love God and love your neighbor as yourself, then that helps us understand a little more about what love is. Love God and then love neighbor. And so I'm I'm going to stop here in a second and get your thoughts. But it starts for me with love of God. I don't start with the love of my neighbor. I start with the love of God. Because right. if God is love, I need to be able to love like God. So in order to love like God, there's some things I've got to do. Now, I would argue here that because every person is created in the image of God, whether they believe the gospel or not, have the capacity to love like that because they're creating that image and have that capacity. And you find that often in good marriages of people who aren't Christians. Um, and they still love each other well. They're committed to one another. That's because they're made in the image of God. But particularly for Christians, in order to really robustly live that out, I would say to start with loving God, it starts with repentance of sin and belief in Jesus. Um, Know God and willingly reveal ourselves to God, not because we're informing him, but relationally being open and honest with God because he knows. Mm -hmm. So it's living in openness with God, fully committed to his way for us and the world. So we're committed to his way, which means we have to know his word and love his word and be fully committed to obeying it. And then emotionally tuned in to listen to the Holy Spirit's counsel from the word and application on a moment by moment basis. And I know that's a quick summary, but I think if we're going to love well, we have to start by loving God and, and receiving love from God. Yeah, I think that order is very important because 
to love God is to know him. And if we know him, we know how he loves us. And if we understand that love better, that's what allows us the capacity and the foresight and the, the ability to love others the way that he loved us. And I think it has to be that way because I feel like culture teaches us that love is more transactional and it's more, um, you know, it's more of a respect thing sometimes too. It's like, I've got, you know, I'll love you, but you got to love me first. Uh, and I think, I think that order is very specific in the scriptures of yes, love him. Right. Love, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and then love one another as yourself. And, um, I love this. I love this chapter because I think this is crucial. I think you know, growing up, when I would hear a pastor talk about uh, maturity in Christ, it felt like it was always followed by this laundry list of Christian activities to do. It's you know, this is how you mature by reading your Bible, by praying, by preaching the gospel, and and, and by no means am I putting those things down. Those are essential. But those are not the measuring stick of love, of of, of being mature in Christ. And um, I love that he breaks this down, um, even if it sounds kind of counterculture to us. But when we develop and implement a holistic love of all people that transcends culture, ethnicity, economic status, gender, race, political bent, or even sexual preference, we will experience this awareness that is like, it's kind of like a drug, this awareness of, of people around us who need us to love them like Jesus, and we won't want to stop that. And I feel like that the pursuit of that, that's where that measure of maturity comes in to play because, and you said this in your definition without saying it, but his love is unconditional. The fact that he, he's the best part of who I am, but the fact that he knows every deep, dark, evil part of me from my past and my present and what my future will be and still loves me and still looks at me and says, no, that's my son. Mm. He's forgiven. He's holy. He's an heir to the throne. When we get that, I feel like that's when we're able to be capable of trying to love at that level. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we can ever achieve that in our human flesh and in this world because we're still sinners. But I think we, if we grasp that love and that piece of how much he loves us and the importance of loving him, that's when we can start to move towards a life that loves others well. Mm, that's good. Yeah, that's good. And that's where it has to begin. Yes. Absolutely where it has to begin. Um, <clears throat> in order for me to fully work that out, I have to have known that kind of unconditional love, that God loves me. Uh, and I would say not in spite of me. He loves me for me. And he loves the full me, all of me, and invites all of me uh, unconditionally to come to Jesus and be completely transformed so that the all of me he loves is transformed over time, but but also knowing that he loved me even when I wasn't transformed. like that, mm -hmm. It's not like he loves the completed me and just puts up with me now. He, his love for me is displayed in that while I was still unlovable, yeah, he sent the son to die for me so that I'm not more loved when I become lovable. I just become what I can become because he loved me when I was unlovable. That's transformative. And that helps me to see if that's how I'm loved, then I need to be able to love like that. 
he willingly gave up that which was most important to him to redeem those of us who are also important to him. And I, I think, I don't think that that registers until you become a parent really. Mm. Cause I'm like, I'd love to have that love. But I'm not giving up my daughter for nobody, especially people that have spent their lives rejecting me or trying to hurt me or bring me down. Right. And, and to think, you know, to think it, just think about like if somebody flicks you off or cuts you off in the car and you're like, man, you know, we, we react to that. When I do that to the Lord in some way, he still, still loves. Right. And, and, and it's, and he pours it out. It's not like he just takes a break and it comes back to me and loves like he just, that's what he does. Yeah. And, um, man, to that's, that's hard to be mindful of at all times, but, um, I think we we lose the ramifications of John three sixteen of that part of it sometimes because it's this verse everybody knows and we just kind of say it and it's a happy verse but we think man no because he loved us he gave his only his only son right it's like like if there was another way to redeem us besides the cross Jesus would have done it and the Lord would have done it if there was something else that could have been sufficient enough to cover all that then he they wouldn't have, he wouldn't have done that that would have been wouldn't have made any sense. Right. But because that's what it took, he willingly did that. Mm, man, that's rich. That's worth sitting in. Yeah. Right. That's oh, yeah. sitting in. Absolutely. Mm. All right. So I want to jump into, all right, love. Uh, <clears throat> again, these are just, these are not the definite article. Uh, it's not comprehensive. These are, these are just some ways that we can look at. Uh, love being emotionally healthy. And I, I do want to put this note, this disclaimer on the front end. I think these presuppose a healthy relationship, healthy relationships with other people uh, that are willing to reciprocate. Um, these are not commands in the Bible that we're to obey and ignore the warning signs of someone who intends to hurt us or wound us. Even the Lord taught us uh, in the Sermon on the Mount to not cast our pearls before swine, lest those swine turn, <clears throat> trample the pearls, and then trample you too. So when we're talking about this kind of vulnerability with other humans, um, we're talking about the exercise also of wisdom. Yeah. Um, nothing in the Bible demands us to act foolishly. We're given a whole book called the Proverbs that teach us how to act wisely. So I don't want anybody to hear, um, oh my gosh, you guys said this, so I have to go fully obey this and and foolishly allow myself to be trampled. We're talking about emotionally healthy discipleship, and we're talking about an emotionally healthy love. That doesn't mean foolishness. It means the exercise of wisdom in some of the things we want to share with you. So I'll start out and say the first thing uh, that I glean um, is being fully attentive and listening to others. Mm. So not being distracted. So if I'm to love somebody the way I've been loved, God is fully attentive to me. He invites me to come and pray. Uh, he invites me to come and, and talk to him, ask, seek, and knock. And he's attentive. He's not distracted. Being God, he's capable of doing that. This great mystery of prayer that God hears his people and hears all of them individually and corporately and is never distracted from us. A, that's amazing. But then secondly, I, I think then it calls me to be that kind of attentive with other people. Yeah. So if I'm going to love well on a measure of my growth in Christ is is to be measured in love, then one of the ways I love somebody is to be fully attentive and listening. There's not much more impactful, uh, kind of going to a, like a leadership standpoint here, is when someone takes 
not just interest in you, but they come back later and they're like, Hey, I remember last week, you know, your, your mom was ill or your child was ill. Like, how are they feeling? Like just when someone validates and gives you value enough to not only listen, but remember something that you said and then to come back towards that because they care for you. Right. Like to me, that's, that's where that relationship is is really, really built and strong. I mean, I, I think there's something wired in us men that we struggle with this with our wives too often to listen. But, and, and I'm, and, so, and I find myself sometimes I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm distracted. And I'm like, no, no, I did that. <laughs> I, I <laughs> right. allowed myself to be distracted. There's not when, when she's talking and she's sharing something that's important to her, everything else should be secondary. That text can wait that Facebook or that Twitter comment can wait. TV can, all that kind of stuff can wait. And um, I think that's when when we do that with, around other people, when we take the time to just and, and, and physically show that with our presence, with our um, active call, active listening, you know, we're asking questions and we're engaged in that conversation truly with people like that. That shows love, that shows value, and it builds trust too, which mm. is which is a huge important component of love. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, another component here is to believe that each person is unique, created by God in the image of God and, and worthy of, of respect. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there is a degree to which that can be very hard, particularly if, um, uh, particularly if you are trying to give attention to someone who may not really be worthy of it. And, and that, and this, this is going to require some emotional health and good boundaries. Right. Cause there's a time that we probably should give some of that. And then a time we should say no to that, but it's believing that in spite of what they have done, they are still loved by God. Cause here's the wild thing. God can save the absolute worst of humanity. Hmm. The thief on the cross got no less love from God than mother Teresa mm-hmm. and his Span of discipleship was just a few hours, right? I mean, no. so so at their worst, and and I, there are names that start coming to mind of in history. Um, there's a degree to which they're deserving of some manner of respect and attention um, because God loves them. Absolutely, that's good stuff. There, I, um, for me to kind of bring it back into the church, into the church fold. Um, I think one of the biggest turnoffs for a church is, and the reciprocal of this is true, where the biggest attractor of people to a church is whether or not they're a loving church. And I feel like we should, I mean, we should always be seeking to grow in our theology and knowledge of Christ. Like, we, you know, those are all important things. But we must be a people who love him and love others in a way that's clearly evident, uh, that it becomes contagious and uncontainable. Like, we've got to be a church family. Uh, we must love our church family deeper because if we learn to do that well, then that spills out into our domains. And so I feel like it starts, you know, it starts in our home. We, we use the word Eden, right? It starts in our family. But as a church, we've got to love one another better. Yeah. Like when people come to our church, it's not they shouldn't be only seeing how cool our building is or our signs or how many ministries we have or this. If you're not a loving church, people don't want to be there. And right. they pick up on that quickly. Yeah. And that's evident. And so yeah. if we do that amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, well, that's going to continue to spill out yeah. into our domain. That's right, and and some of that may be counter to how people understand love. And we started with this: we're we're unconditionally committed to each other's good, yeah. emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We're committed to their good, and sometimes, sometimes, and this is where this is where a cultural adaptation of love can can 
bite you practically, um, not in a negative way, but in a good way, is is if if by love people mean you're going to just accept as equal everything I do, that's no, <laughs> that that's not love. But if you mean you're committed to my good, and and even willing to correct me when I'm what I'm doing is killing myself and my family, then yes. And and if you're willing to stay with me in that, then yes, absolutely. But but they have to be able to feel that you are committed to my maturity in Christ, mm-hmm. and that you're going to walk with me in that, in, including the hard times. And and man, if we can be that, that is truly transformational. It is. And if if love is the measure of maturity in Christ, the opposite is also true. So if you if you are not loving well, yeah. that is immaturity in Christ. And one of the fundamental truths Cazero lays out. Is he says emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Mm. And part of being emotionally mature is exactly what we're talking about: is yeah. being able to love God well and to love others well. Yeah, that's huge. Um, then, then this idea of accepting, um, accepting each other. Yeah. Scazzaro adds not judging, but I think that's a qualifier that I, I I'm care I'm un comfortable with and just be honest because jesus taught us to judge and people say i don't know jesus said don't judge no jesus said don't judge hypocritically read the passage carefully jesus never said don't judge jesus said to judge properly there's no such thing as not judging like every day we have to judge we have to evaluate jesus said just don't do it hypocritically so if i've got a log in my eye and i'm looking at the sawdust in yours that's Jesus is like, no, get the log out of your eye. Then you can help your brother with the sawdust in theirs. So I think this idea of accepting and judging properly is the way to say it. And judging has a negative spin to it because of how it's used. Yes. I think the word is used poorly. It's used only in the negative, but it's also a very positive thing. To judge, to evaluate properly is healthy. And so I would say accepting people and accepting them while evaluating correctly um, is the only way we can love well. Because if something's out of place that is killing their soul, I don't want to accept that. I want to accept them and I want to help evaluate the things. And I want them to do the same with me. Mm-hmm. Like if there's something that's killing my soul and you see it, you need to tell me and, and, and help me get rid of that. Does that make sense? That would yeah. be love. And so I would say accepting and evaluating correctly. Yeah, I, we've used this word a million times, I think, through this series, but awareness, like judge, being a proper judge, doing it the right way is is the epitome of having awareness. Um, uh, just for example, you know, having a seven-year-old daughter, like when we go to the grocery store, when we're out in public, I'm not judging the people that are walking by as if they're probably bad people, but I have to judge my situation and be protective of her and not just assume that everyone around me is got good intentions either. And I, and I don't feel like that's, so I'm not judging by that person walking by saying, okay, they are out to get her. But at the same time, I've got to, to judge all the situation and I've got to be aware of that. Cause I've got to protect her. Cause people are snatching up kids yeah. in broad daylight and that scares me to death. That's right. Um, it's, it's, it, it's not wrong for me to judge someone who's walking around in the neighborhood around your house slowly and kind of looking and, you know, like you're not judging their character because you don't know them, but you're judging, okay, what are the, what am I seeing? What are they doing? Is, am I at risk here? Am I, am I safe? Am I unsafe? Is this person just walking their dog or are they walking 
and trying to just go about my house. And I know those may not be the best examples, but I feel like I think you nailed it. We because we always say don't judge a book by its cover, and and you know we say these things like don't just don't judge people by their looks, and we shouldn't do that as a measuring stick alone, you know. And um, but we've got to be able to evaluate, like you said, I love that word. We've got to be able to evaluate people. We've got to be able to look at things with an intelligent mind that we've been given and our surroundings and all the factors going into that. Mm, absolutely. That that's emotionally healthy. Yes. That's a full orbed knowledge. And that's, that is huge. Uh, that's, that's perfect. That's a perfect Chris. That, uh, that, that's a good example. Um, dialogue, um, not monologue. So if I'm going to love somebody well, and, and, uh, man, I, when I see, the word curious now, I'm forever Ted Lassoed. I don't know if that scene, if anybody's seen Ted Lasso, which is a fantastic television show. Um, we had free Apple TV for a while, and I refused to pay for it, so I'm going to miss season three. But Ted Lasso was awesome. And that bar scene where he's talking about, be curious. And uh, if you don't know that, you can YouTube that and watch it because it's gold. So I can't see curious without hearing Ted Lasso uh-huh. say, be curious. And so... Um, Dialogue with people. Be curious. Find out. Yeah. Um, curiosity is also a key to good mental health. Not swirling in your thoughts, but being curious. Asking questions of the questions. Yeah. Like when there's a question arises, ask, where did that question come from? Why is that question there? What is the nature of that question? Curiosity is a key to good brain health, mm-hmm. which is key to good mental health. And so dialogue, like yeah. we're doing here. Asking good questions is to me one of the greatest signs of, of a good leader but it's the greatest signs of people who are emotionally mature being able to 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 ask questions uh, not everyone shares and opens up the same way and so learning how to ask good questions of people without coming across as um interrogating you know there's there's times to push there's times to do that but i feel like just asking good questions not just simply hey how's it going but um when we when we build a good relationships with people we're able to ask questions that, that go beyond the surface level because we, we've earned that trust with them. You know, so like when I, and I you and I would see each other with how you doing, but I also might be like, you know, Hey, how's Daniel doing with the football season this year? How's Gabe handling right. uh, and, and John Mark handling college? You know, how's Jen dealing with the stresses of being in the school system? Like asking questions that are, that give, it gives you voice and value, but also lets you know, Hey, he cares about me because he knows me. He knows what's going on in my life, and I mm. feel like that's that's such an important part of of loving others is asking good questions, intentional questions, and then being able to to follow up, like I said, with that dialogue, not just spewing on them all the stuff that's going on with you. You know, the Bible says, yeah. "Consider others better than yourselves," and, and how we talk to one another um, says whether or not we get that. Yeah, I I think I am so guilty of talking too much um and and that's a that's hard i don't and and that's one of the things i become more aware of as i get older is shutting up and listening and asking more questions and listening more as opposed to telling my stuff um and and i think too a a side note to that is it as you were as you were saying that it just dawned on me that that requires us to have have a limited scope the truth is no human being can love everybody well you have to you have to be wise in in it's just not emotional capacity to love for one human being to properly love a hundred people. It's not possible. 
It's I'm, not. We're not God. Jesus can love everybody because he's God. I'm a human. I barely can love myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's a sense of having enough discipline to to not isolate ourselves from everybody, but there's only so many people that individuals can truly love well. So it means there's if I'm going to love well, I have to limit. I have to a limited scope in who I'm going to invest in. Mm-hmm. That sounds weird because it's like for a Christian, I think there's this boundaryless existence that says you should invest equally in everybody, and it's just not possible. I can only love a certain amount of people well. Yeah, man, that's that's so true. I mean, even Jesus did that, right? He had twelve disciples, and then but he more than that really had three that he really really poured into and i'm like you know, king of the world who's perfect without any flaws is keeping his circle fairly small and there's studies on this about relationships and the number of like essential relationships we can have at that level and then and then how many like actual friendships we can have that we're connecting with people and then even like the, up to the queens level is only to like 50 um you know it starts like five or six you know our close family our inner circle and then builds out and it's I mean, it's pretty crazy how that, um, you know, how this, that's just how we're made. We're made to be in relationship with people, but we can only have the capacity to be at that level with so many. Yeah, that's right. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Um, so, God, that's worth getting down the road to. Like, my brain's on fire right now. So, yeah. <laughs> I keep it, keep it on my notes. Um, be vulnerable and self-disclose, but with this caveat, don't cast your pearls before swine. Be vulnerable with the right people. There's some people you don't need to be vulnerable with. Yeah. And again, that that Christian subculture is not all Christian. Mm-hmm. It's a it's idolatrous, and it's rotten with a Christian T-shirt on top of it. Um, and that's the idea that you should be equally vulnerable with everybody. That's just foolishness. But it's be vulnerable with the right people. So I should be fully known by some people. Yeah. Um, and I am, and that's painful at times. Um. But but if I'm going to love well, I need to equally disclose myself to somebody else. Yeah, I mean, we talked about boundaries a couple weeks ago. Having proper emotional boundaries is healthy. And one of the biggest things that I've seen, and we've seen this in, in church, we've seen this in work lives and in relationships, is one of the worst mistakes people have oftentimes is opening up to someone else who is not emotionally mature or at least not in the emotional good state at that moment. Um, and because what happens is people who are emotionally unhealthy tend to gravitate towards other emotionally unhealthy people. And then they gang up on the emotionally healthy and yes, because they, they, that's not, that's just how their brains are wired at that moment. That's how they're dealing with things and it's, it's not healthy. And so they're, like you said, there, that's a, that's such a great point for people is there's a, you need to be open with those, but, pick and choose wisely who you're open with. And um, another kind of point that just came up, yeah, my brain's on fire too. I'm like, we could go on this forever. But, um, you know, when we're connecting with people, one sign of emotional maturity for you is the being able to d- differentiate between using things in your life and your experience to empathize with others and to show compassion as opposed to turning everything someone else says to bring it back to you mm. and to what you're going. And I think that's an essential part of that dialogue piece of the opening piece when you're when you're emotionally immature we tend to take everything and and personalize it we we take we take everything as a as we get defensive number one we take everything as an attack on us and then we take what people are else what they're hurting with and they're oh yeah yesterday this is what i was dealing with and immediately we've devalued 
their opinion and their feelings and what's going on in their life and made it about us. And that's something I've tried to be very cautious of too, with dealing with people is there's a, a time to take my experiences and what I've gone through because that's how we show empathy, right? We, we need to be able to walk through things with people and say, yeah, I know what you're going through. I dealt with this, but quickly turn it back to their needs and make it about them, especially if they're coming to you. Right. Uh, we've got to avoid turning everything to us and then make, and then you finish the conversation and, all you said was everything going on with you. Now that person hasn't processed anything. They've not been healed through anything because you've just turned it all and made it about yourself. Man, that, that requires a lot of self-knowledge Yeah, and being self-aware, but that's part of emotional health. That's part of loving. Well, um, final thing I have is be willing to learn. Um, uh, none of us know everything and, and we always need to be in a learning mode. Um, and learning does not mean swallowing everything hook, line, and sink, hook, line, and sinker. It does mean being discerning and learning truth. And sometimes learning truth means learning things that aren't true. So as we know what is true, um, but be willing to learn uh, when we when we're working with other people. Um, be curious. Find out. It's, it's kind of a you know synonym will be curious, but it's our curiosity should lead to learning, mm-hmm. and that's helpful. Yeah, that's good. I've got. Um I'm just I get, put my Southern Baptist hat back on this week again. I've got my four G's, not OGs, but four G's uh, of how we can make love the measure of maturity. And I'll kind of quickly unpack these and get your thoughts on each one. Um, the first one is love must be genuine, and a lot, a lot of what I, a lot of these just to preface it is lines up with what you've been sharing uh, the whole time too. So a lot of them are similar, but people who are who are disingenuous or inauthentic are usually easy to spot and they're easy to dismiss and ignore. And part of loving others is trust. Uh, when people are not genuine, it breaks down that trust. It either breaks down existing trust or it prevents trust from developing. Uh, genuine love is a willful attitude and commitment to the growth of and well-being of oneself and another. Uh, it's intimacy that's achieved only when you have faced your fears, addressed your personal issues, and come to know and love yourself. Um, Romans twelve nine to ten says, "Love, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection." And I love this part. Outdo one another in showing love. Mm, that's a good competition. It is a healthy one. <laughs> yeah. If if your biggest com- competition is seeking to try to love others better than they love you, then you're doing it right yeah that's good yeah that's solid yeah there's there's you a good uh there's you a good you know guys like to always compete um outdo one another in love showing honor that's a good competition that's awesome yeah uh number two is love is a gift that's the second g love is a gift to yourself and to others um if we don't love ourselves we will struggle to love others and i i feel like that phrase gets a lot of negative uh connotations when we talk about loving yourself um it feels soft. It feels like, Oh, just, you know, just gotta, gotta love yourself. But it's important because if we understand love, then we will love ourselves because the, because the Lord loves us and and we need to learn to see ourselves through his eyes and not through our own. And to better love ourselves, we have to understand that love is a gift from the Lord for he is love. Um, you know, John four, seven and eight again, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because he's love and uh, understanding that is to love yourself. And then when you love yourself, you can love others uh, better. And we've got to be able to accept that gift in our own lives. We have to accept his love. Mm. It sounds like a simple thing. It sounds like an easy thing, but it's not always. No, it's not. Especially when we're in those dark places and those deep places of hurt and 
yeah. grief or loss or uh, embarrassment because we did something or we said something. It's hard to be accepting yeah. of love. Yeah, accepting God's love um, means being willing to take to Him your doubts, doubt of His love, doubt of His care and concern for you. Because when when hard things happen, it's well, it's okay. We sh- it's okay to respond like Job. What did I do wrong? I, how have I sinned? I want to. I want a hearing with God. I need to present my case because this has to stop. I'm scraping boils, sitting in hot ashes with broken pottery. I rise. I rose every morning and sacrificed to the Lord. I prayed for my family. You took my family. You took my health. You did this. Why? Mm-hmm. Being comfortable with God enough to bring that is huge. Um, now that. That also means that God's going to love you enough to tell you to gird up your loins when he responds like he did Job. But it also comes with Job 42.5 that said, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. You know, but to be that comfortable with God, to receive his love, because his love it isn't just a positive emotive feeling. It's I'm going to get Job to completion. Yeah, And that means Job's not going to understand what happened in this courtroom of heaven. He's just going to see me allowing hell yeah and it goes back to love not being transactional especially with the lord like Mm. if i do things better he's not going to love me more right because nor nor is he going to punish me worse when i mess up right because that's that's not agape love that's conditional and he's not conditional and that's love that's right um and when when i you know when a parent properly and appropriately disciplines their child it's out of love for that child uh that's why when i'm training parents and foster parents i'm like that's why you need to take a minute before you like not don't respond out of anger yeah respond out of love but there's still discipline needed when bad choices are made yeah but but in that is love and in that is learning in that is relationship building if it's done properly yeah that's good that's solid man uh the third one is love must be grounded in relationship. And we talked about this a lot already, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but uh, it starts with how we view people. Like you said, and we have to view people as sons and daughters of the most high King. We have to put them before ourselves, hold one another in highest regard. And while living in relationship and doing life together, we become more aware of each other's needs and we can strive towards loving each other more deeply. Um, and that's just an urgent thing in, in that believers we've got to get right. We've got to look at others more uh, better than ourselves and to, do that, that will allow us to love uh, more deeply. Mm, that's good. And then the last G is love is the gospel. Um, like I said, love is not God always, but God is love. But when we sh- when we do this well, this is the gospel. John 13, uh, 34, 35, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, I'm not a big message Bible fan, but I love the trans. they translate this. They will recognize you as my disciples. Mm. And I'm like, we don't need to do anything else in life other than to make much of him and to be recognizable as his. It's huge. And and the way we do that is to love. If, if people can't see Jesus in us by how we treat one another, and how, how are they going to listen to what we have to say about him? And this goes back to what I was talking about, being a church that loves. Um, so, you know, pastors, church leaders, be a church that teaches people how to love one another well more than about doing Christian activities. Focus more on the people who are actually sitting in your seats than working so hard to fill the empty seats. 
because those seats will be filled if you care well about those who are actually showing up. Mm. Measure success more by hearts changed than hands raised. Care more about the number of your people who are maturing in Christ through loving God and others than the number of money needed to build a new building. Just a little advice there, but it goes back to how we measure things, and oftentimes it's the wrong way. Mm. That's good. Care for, you know, it's, it's like that shepherd mentality. Shepherd's not going around trying to bring new sheep into his flock and while ignoring his current flock, right? Because that's right. when they get into trouble. That's when the lion prowls. All right. And so a good shepherd pours into his flock and he, he rallies them and he keeps them together and he helps them work together. And I feel like that's that should be the focus mm-hmm. um, for leaders mm-hmm. in the church. Man, that's solid, Chris. That's that's gold. That's worth unpacking. Yeah, that's more. another. Yeah, um, that's just huge. And I, I, I think uh, that beautiful example, the love, the love is the gospel, the kingdom. It, it's that. Uh, it's the treasure. Love is the treasure. And when you unpack that treasure, what you find is this glorious message of the gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so the truth is, God's love pushes and motivates the gospel of the kingdom. And and so love love is a is the full orb diamond of the gospel and it has many facets. Mm. But that that diamond of love is 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 the diamond of the gospel. It's the ethic of God's kingdom. And it truly is a measure of our spiritual maturity, our emotional maturity. And so man, Chris, good stuff this morning, brother. Love it, man. Good stuff. Love talking about it. Guys, we really appreciate you listening to Theology in the Dirt. So if you have any questions, you like any follow-up conversations from the content that we've given you, we would uh, welcome your email, theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. You can send it to us, and we will get it, put it on the list of things we want to talk about, and uh, we will get to it. We'd love it if you would give us a five-star rating, leave us a comment, share the podcast so more people can hear this and be part of it. You guys... Have a fantastic rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Out. Stronger and harder than a bad girl's dream.